Hello and welcome to the Saturday Night on the South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. Marler, the Mad Hatter, is back. Les, He's back, baby. Les Miles is going to Kansas. We heard this that this was going to be a possibility on Friday. Ross Dellinger, Sports Illustrated, reported this. And we find out that this is going to happen. We're, of course, going to talk about that and the big news that that has just on you know just the landscape of college football we're going to go over a bunch of cupcake week stuff uh look look ahead to next week with rivalry week and all that before we do all that got to talk to you guys though about our friends over at ticket city yes sds as you know excited to once again be partnering again with them for all their ticket needs our relationship with them goes back several years as they continue to be a leader in the ticket space, especially for college football fans. Getting tickets for college football games could not be easier when using Ticket City, and they're gonna get you guys the best prices. All you're gonna do, you're gonna use that promo code CMBF10. You're gonna get 10% off your tickets right now, whether it's for this upcoming Saturday, last upcoming Saturday of the regular season, might I add. Scary thought, I know, I know. Yeah, don't like that. Sorry. Um, or if it's for later in the season, like, you know, you want to get a bowl game, SEC championship, something like that, just do it on Ticket City. There were a lot of games across the SEC that um, I'm sure, just in terms of the, the ticket prices for, for Cupcake Week, it was a big pop topic of conversation with, like, Alabama, with, you know, not having full stadiums. But before we talk about games, we got to talk about this less mile stuff because... Well, I got to tell you real quick, when you talk about um, ticket prices for Cupcake Week... I decided to put that to the test a little bit, and you know I live like a mile from Bobby Dodd Stadium, downtown Atlanta. So yesterday after the noon games, took a little lunch break, in quotes, me and Bay went down to Georgia Tech, Virginia. Conference game, ACC. Not playing an FCS team. Conference game. Not technically ACC. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say that one more time. Conference game, <laughs> ACC. We bought two tickets, 30-yard line, lower level, for $18. Total or a piece? A piece. $18. We got there. And, and I, so I love Bobby Dodd Stadium. I grew up. That's like the first place I ever saw a football game. And actually, no, but I used to go there a lot, like, growing up because my dad lived downtown. But we went, and, it, you know, it's one of the last weeks of the regular season, so I figured, why not? My favorite part about that, besides the cheap tickets for a conference game in the ACC, there was a group of people tailgating outside the stadium that were tech fans, in quotes. They didn't go into the game. They were sitting in LSU folding chairs and watching the Notre Dame game on TV instead of going to the game. So I thought that was pretty great. Just trying to cover all their bases. I mean, there's don't, don't yeah. get me wrong. I've been a part of many a tailgates that never made their way into the stadium. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. But, I mean, doing so and watching a different game is kind of weird. In your LSU chairs. <laughs> LSU that was my favorite chairs. part, yeah. Uh, so, so, there's that. So, that was uh, the SDS podcast on the ACC. Um, <laughs> how about the SDS podcast on the Big 12? Because all of a sudden, the Big 12 is shaking in their boots because Les Miles is coming to eat all of their grass. We, I, I at least threw this out there like months and months ago. I said he's never coaching again. I, we, we talked about all of these ideas for his Hollywood his Hollywood yeah. career and all these great shows and movies that he could be doing. And instead, he's just going to try and recreate the ultimate underdog story and go to Kansas and try and lead them to Ugh. prominence. I, I get it from Kansas' standpoint. More, yeah, more, than so I, that's, more than I get it from Les Miles' standpoint. And that's where it ends. Yeah. I, like, it's, it's so exciting. Like, everyone's excited that he's back in college football. 
which is, I get that. It's great. He's and a I, great personality. There's nothing wrong with that. He's also going to be lost. He's in Kansas. He is a great personality. He's going to be in Kansas. Here's the no, When are we going to hear from Les? Here's the thing. So he's 65 years old. And I'm not saying that he's too old or that he's past his prime necessarily, no. but the dude's got to evolve because he was he was out of a job at LSU because he refused to evolve his offense. And right. this is the Big 12 where everybody throws the ball all over the place. And if he thinks that he's going to go into a place like Kansas and just try and like do something, <laughs> it, it would it would be comparable to like what Brett Bielema did at Arkansas, where you think all of a sudden you could just like get these great, big, massive offensive linemen and just pound it at people. I don't think that's necessarily going to work. Or get recruits in general. Yeah, I, I'm, I'll i be interested to see how the way that, that his staff develops and if he gets some top-notch offensive coordinator in there because I think that's what you need because at this stage of his career, I don't think he's going in there to... Um, how do I put this kindly? It's not going to reinvent the wheel. He's not going to all of a sudden just throw out everything. <laughs> like the, the guys, if anything, he's going to deconstruct the wheel. Right. We saw his offense at LSU. I, I mean... So, so like candidates though for coordinators, like he can't get Condoleezza Rice. Yeah, because she's going to the Browns. I didn't know she. W- yeah, apparently that's a real thing. Um, what if he gets Butch Jones? Oh. Okay, I, I mean, now, now I am excited. I, you, you have taken I, my God, level. That that train wreck. I, uh, in Kansas. So let's get back Can- to to why though this is. Why this? Why this is a good move for for Kansas, and why you would want to pursue someone like Les Miles, and not to get into like too much of the history of Kansas football, because right. isn't a, there isn't one. Yeah, there isn't one. I mean, they haven't been to a bowl game in ten years. That was the last time they had a winning season, and this is a program that can't fill its stadium. And the obvious takeaway from making a splashy hire like this is just that: is that it's a splashy hire. It gets booster money. It gets season ticket holders. And you get people excited about something that isn't basketball. And that's right. all well and good. I get all of that. Stuart Mandel threw this out on Twitter and got a ton of flack for it. He does great work, of course, for The Athletic. Somebody that college football fans know well. They've probably been reading his writing for a long time. But he threw out the idea of, like, I'm surprised that everybody thinks this is such a good idea. And then cited how programs often make these splashy hires and then once the splash wears off in eight months and you realize crap we're back in the same place that we were and the example that was probably in his head when he was making this 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 point was lovey smith at illinois at least that's that's like the obvious like weird fit that you never think would happen but big splashy hire and boom here's how this is going to play out and you realize okay the guy might have bitten off more than he could chew is les miles going to say a year from now hey like this is really, really difficult. I am in over my head. I can't do this. I don't think he'll do that, because um, I think he's he's got too much character and integrity for that. Like he would want to save face. But if he did, I I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't be mad at him. I mean, I, I'm not. No, I am. I am trying to dis- discount that it's Kansas. I mean, it's it's Kansas. Why why would you want to go coach at Kansas? He like what. What are the draws of going to, to coach in the Big 12 when you are you are definitely the bottom feeder of that conference? And that's that's a tough conference in terms of the nine-game conference schedule, how ridiculous the travel is. you got to play every single team every single year and now a conference title game, correct? Correct, yeah. So that's, you got to play Oklahoma. So you got, you got to play all those teams every year. I think the, the less miles market 
And if you look at the way that everything unfolded after he was fired from LSU in the middle of the 2016 season, they start off the number five team in the country and he's gone after a month. And he whiffed on potential job opportunities in 2016. He was rumored for jobs like Purdue and, you know, these jobs that are kind of, you know, Minnesota, he was thrown in the mix. Yeah. And, and jobs that are considered, you know, not great power five jobs. Right. And after he whiffed this past year, I thought, you know what? He swung once, he missed. He swung twice, he missed. He's just going to go fade off into Hollywood and, and do his thing. But, like, I kind of can't blame the guy if he still thinks that he's got something left. If you have something left yeah. as a coach and you, if you have that energy, which Les Miles is never lacking in energy. for Say what you want about a guy who's 65 years old and was basically out of a job because he refused to evolve. He's not out of energy. And I think that he, like, in the early on, this is really going to... Um, like his personality is going to come out in more ways than ever. He's going to mar- he's going to be a marketing machine. Like if you think we're just hearing about Les Miles in this big splash this weekend, get ready for the next eight nine months leading up to next season because it's going to be the Les Miles show. I see. I disagree. I think I think this is like the curtain closing. He's just fading out into into. No- I mean, I wish he would have taken if it was on the table the Maryland job. And I thought with. The amount of issues that that program was having with DJ Durkin after everything that came out with that, I thought that was a perfect situation because he's a Big Ten guy. He went to Michigan, and you know Maryland is now in the Big Ten. Um, you know, he probably would have called a better uh, two point conversion play yesterday. And to be fair, which true, is, true. Hey, whoa, let's not let's not throw shots at Matt Canada. Speaking we, speaking <laughs> of former LSU coaches, let's not throw a shot. I know he's only an offensive coordinator, but still, it's Matt Canada. I think is is still going to get that job. I, that's that's kind of where. Yes, I, I think you're right. I, I think I was just kind of surprised that it wasn't more consideration for Les. Yeah, and you know, Les has experience winning in the Big Twelve before, obviously at Oklahoma State before he got to LSU, and you know, he's a guy that his resume speaks for itself. But this is going to be such a great storyline to follow for not just fans of the SEC, not just fans of the Big Twelve, but for everybody that has any rooting interest in college football that is seeing one of the great characters in the sport in the 21st century and trying to figure out what this next stage, this maybe his fi- the final stage of his career is going to be like. So right. um, we'll, we'll continue to talk about Les because I'm sure he's going to provide some great moments. Let's talk about some on-the-field stuff. And let's just, you know what, let's not talk about the second half of Bama Citadel. Let's just talk about the first half and how much you enjoyed it. <laughs> so that w- we burned Sage. We burned Sage again. Sage Rage 2018. <laughs> Was in full effect. Um, yeah, that was a. There so, this wasn't something where it was just me kind of overreacting. I even want to say I legitimately thought for a while you tweeted that there that was a chance yeah, that they were. Yeah, there's a legitimate chance I thought they could lose because they showed no over and over and over again. They showed no signs of being able to stop the the wishbone, but then also not doing any of the things they need to do as a team, focus wise, um, the protecting the football. I, they just kept making mistake after mistake, and the offense didn't look good in the in the first half. No, and everything worked out. I think it changes if, if you don't have the because it was the the Judy fumble right that that could have made it, and the fumble to start the second half. Right, right. And you got some kicker for them just knocking dead forty eight yard field goals, <laughs> rubbing it in our face. That was pretty frustrating to watch. We're missing extra points, and this kid is just drilling near fifty yard field goals. So we're going to get to uh, the Citadel trolling the SEC, and it might oh, mean too man. much. little teaser. Spoiler alert. That's what it's going to be today. Um, but if you were – okay, so if you came into this game as a Bama fan, 
And one of the the two, maybe the two biggest concerns. I'm going to spin this in a positive way for you. Trust me, I'm, I, I will. I didn't know we had concerns before. So if there were, if but if there were two concerns for Bama this year, it was one, Tua's health, and yep. Tua gets like like we said, the goal that Saban had in this game was just to have Tua complete a game healthy, and. Two is able to, you know, have a game where he's well protected and he's making, you know, the throws uh, that I mean, not not like he wasn't in harm's way in the same way that he was against Mississippi State and probably right. in the way that he was yeah, against LSU. But he's still able to step in the pocket, make his deep throws, and feel comfortable doing it, which is what I think Saban wanted to get back to. So goal number one, accomplished. Goal number two, you wanted your team to have some in-game adversity. You wanted to have at least a game where Saban goes into the locker room at halftime and yeah. he's got to light a fire under him. And you know what? As weird as it sounds, it took the Citadel in week 12 for that to happen. And then, of course, Bama has the third quarter that we all expected them to have and the game is over. And Tua doesn't even have to throw a pass in the fourth quarter. So if you look at it from that standpoint, not the worst day. And, and one other benefit that I cannot believe I'm even having to say, but another benefit of this, two is Heisman chances. Because as we talked about last week, with like in my book, he actually put out a, a stat um, in comparison between, was it the, uh, between Tua and Kyler Murray. And system quarterback, inter- Kyler Murray. I did not say you system quarterback. You said. I said he put up, Baker Mayfield put up the same numbers last year. That is not me saying he's a system quarterback. That's just saying, like that's I'm not as impressed by and that. Baker Mayfield, he's not, he's not, and Baker Mayfield won the Heisman Trophy and was number one overall. Pick. Yeah, but I, but do you think Kyler? But also Kyler Murphy or Kyler Murray is going into games where his defense is allowing 40 points to Kansas, so he's getting all these extra opportunities to put up all these touchdowns and points. Oh, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Like that. That that's, is that's that, part of it. That's part of it. But just like the the belief that like you because we we texted about this the other day. A little peel behind the onion. There's something I haven't said in a while. Um, <laughs> You you said the other day you texted me a screenshot of that and you're like oh wow I didn't realize you know didn't realize it was this close and I was like hey you know Kyler Murray just just a system quarterback am I right and you're like you're like I didn't say that and then you basically That's made the point I, first off I didn't yell via text yes you did but I can I can sense okay. it <laughs> anyway regardless no I, the point I'm trying I was trying to make about that is the fact Kyler Murray's getting he's a hell he's a hell of a player um, they they looked not good against Kansas and it helped his stock again because I think he had like six touchdowns. I mean, he, he hit three through the air and three running. Thank God his defense is so terrible that he gets to play that many that many possessions in a game. Anyway, I think it might have helped Tua's Heisman candidacy because I was hoping that he was going to stay in for two drives max, take a hit, just get back into the, like the flow of things, find that rhythm, and you know get a little confidence back after what happened against LSU and Mississippi State. That's, that's what we talked about on Wednesday. Um, however, I... I guess at the end of the day, you know, he throws, what, 18-22 for 340 yards. It's like four total touchdowns. That's not a Heisman moment because it was against the Citadel. But he got, maybe he finally got a little bit more of those, I don't know, padding the stats that he didn't get earlier in the season. And Bama did did have injury issues. It wasn't all a positive day. Damian Harris, uh, Deontay Thompson, and then Alex Lutherwood all getting injured in this game. That's not ideal for Cupcake Week. That's usually And the Damian Harris one was... He, I mean, the concussion that looked bad immediately, and then and just like, you know, Quentin Williams early in the first quarter taking a cheap shot from somebody, and I thought that was interesting because that's what one of the things Luke Del Rio said about, you know, like this is their time to shine. Like you see a lot of cheap yep. shots, and when he said it, I was like, that seems a little bit aggressive. I don't know if that's true. And then right off the bat, it, it's like tip of the cap to Citadel. They came out there and, and they 
played fired up. They won Twitter and the internet all day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the cheap shot on Quinnen that was pretty frustrating. And there were a couple of things like that. Like and just uh, here, my biggest gripe about this, and I know this is going to probably sound like beating like a dead horse, but when Saban complaining about the the cut blocks after the game. I was scre- not screaming, but yelling. Just like you yeah, were in the for- Baker Mayfield text. Yeah, same thing. Sure, okay. <laughs> I was yelling, where, and Allie was like, what is happening? And I'm like, like freaking out because, dude, you're the best coach in college football, probably of all time. There is no reason to schedule this kind of opponent this late in the season, knowing full well it has nothing to do with the yardage or the points or anything like that. Knowing full well what that kind of offense and how they run it is capable of doing to your team. So, and now you leave the game with three injuries. I mean, the D-line, that is, that is not the kind of situation you want to be in going into your toughest games going forward. In his defense, he did say basically on the coach's teleconference this week that... He, he made, it's hard to schedule people. Yeah, well, that and like he basically made it sound like if he had to do it over again, yeah, he's not going to schedule a team that plays a triple option offense and runs his... But he already did. This is how he got the whole... like. Blank through a tin horn thing, that was the same triple option offense. He said it's, he, yeah, I mean, he basically made it sound like in a perfect world, we'd face, a, you know, an FCS team that just runs a pro-style offense. We'd have nothing yeah, to change Yeah, can we just find that? Um, yeah, Saban is still obviously going to be trying to nitpick as much as possible as teams' performers moving forward just because you still got games against quality teams left and that Auburn defense is, you know, still at least alive. Um, yeah. <laughs> especially after a shutout, by the way. Um, yeah, there you go. So, same question that we've been asking the last couple of weeks. And if your answer isn't changed, I mean, nothing really this past week is probably going to suggest your answer changed. Um, does Bama still have a loss to give? Not now. You d- I said they didn't before. You don't think they have a loss to give. So you think... I mean, they, they can, I guess... I. I don't think they can lose to Auburn at this point. Notre Dame's in. Notre Dame is in. Notre Dame loses to USC next week. There's no chance, and I will tell you that I lost an uncomfortable amount of money on USC yesterday playing 2-8 and eight UCLA. There is no chance that Notre Dame loses to USC. And they also looked really good yesterday against Syracuse. They looked really good. So I think they're definitely Just not in, in those uniforms. They didn't look really good. That's true. The ACC, I mean, Clemson, I, I believe, is still going to win that. The SEC is definitely getting one, and so that's three, Right. Oklahoma's playing well enough that if Bama loses, I don't know if they sneak Bama in over Oklahoma. Especially if they have, they have to go, their next two games are a road game at West Virginia and then the, the Big 12 championship game. So if Bama loses to Auburn and wins against Georgia, yeah, they're in. If Bama loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game, I don't, I don't think they're in. Well, you left out Michigan as well, potentially being a team that would be competing for one of those final spots. And it's, yeah. already, it's already making people angry to discuss the scenario in which Bama could lose to a one-loss Georgia team, have both of those teams get in, and then Michigan win 12 straight games to end the season and still not make it to the playoff, which would be right. Jim Delaney would basically like blow up the NCAA office and say, I demand a recount. Wow. I, don't, I don't know yeah. what he would do. That's, that's also fair. Um, so let's, let's move on from, from Bama because we'll, we're going to talk a lot about the Iron Bowl this week. And even though it isn't necessarily uh, what it was last year, we're going to hopefully do uh, some different things with that as well. And we'll hit on that later today when we get some lines. Mizzou and Tennessee, man, did I get this game wrong. Way, way, way wrong on this. Yeah. Tennessee has had this up and down season so much so that like I argued why Tennessee has shown such improvement because it hasn't really had back-to-back duds. And right. Tennessee didn't have back-to-back duds, but this was the dud. And playing for bowl eligibility, 
you wouldn't have known it because yeah, Jared Garantano, you know, gets gets hurt in this game. Final, I mean, which is kind of amazing that it takes this long. <laughs> <Is it> finally, <laughs> yeah, seriously, like with the amount of hits that guy's taken, it's amazing that yeah. we're in week twelve talking about this. But Mizzou wins in a route, and this was the this was more of like the Mizzou team that you expected to see when you said that they could finish second place in this division. I thank you. And, and, and I love the fact that people are now starting to catch on to it. There's been a few things I've been right about. It just took till November to really start getting there <laughs> consistently. Um, yeah, I mean, so this team, they came out, and I thought that was such a weird line. But, you know, as we always say with Vegas, like, if, if, if it smells fishy, there's probably something up. They're a six-point favorite. That line never moved, really. Um, and, you know, you're going to Knoxville. It's a, and they just came off a, a huge win against Kentucky and, and got the running game going. And, yeah, and, like, Garantano has been – I kept saying all year he'd been great, like you know, especially like protecting the football. But man, I mean, it, it just I when you look at Tennessee on paper, and I know that games aren't won on paper. I get that, but every time I would try to look and be like, where are their strengths? Like where where are their strengths as a team? There's not a lot of answers there. It's in the stat sheet. Like they they have the 125th most. So. I guess what fifth or sixth worst in the entire country in first downs. They they don't move the ball on offense consistently, and they don't do enough things on either side of the ball really that are consistent enough. I feel like to win. They I don't say they caught lightning in a bottle against Kentucky or Auburn, um, but yeah, I mean they're still. We saw a lot of their flaws just get you know exposed against Missouri, and yeah, tip of the cap to Missouri, man. Two tough Missouri. They're so close to being nine and two. I know, which is they should at least be eight and three. So remember three weeks ago when we're sitting here and we're talking about, or maybe it was four weeks ago, I'm drawing a blank here, but we're discussing Barry Odom's job security and we're trying yeah. to figure out after, it was after the Kentucky loss and we're saying, you know, I understand people calling for him and saying that this isn't acceptable and you're still winless in the SEC and just like that, boom, they already have as many wins as they did last year. They're, they yep. still have a chance to win nine games this year, a very realistic chance to win nine games considering that they'll let Arkansas close out the regular season and then potentially a, you know, a bowl game. And what has changed so much with this team isn't just Emmanuel Hall, right? I mean, it's, it's the defense. I keep coming back to that it, yeah. because this is what Barry Odom was brought in to do and a group that hadn't finished better than 90th in scoring defense in the first two years right. that he was there is finally starting to play like it can actually do something. We, we brought up the stat over and over again about last year and how they couldn't win a game unless they scored 45 points. That's no longer the case. Yes. That's no longer the case. No. And credit Barry Odom for getting this unit to play well. And and you know what? Credit credit Derek Dooley, a guy who we, a lot of people questioned, and I we we all have our questions about him and whether or not he's going to be the long term guy. And you know, as somebody who is new to the offensive coordinator gig in itself, they have done really well in responding this season, and it feels different than last year. And I understand mm-hmm. that. Tennessee isn't necessarily Tennessee in its prime or anything like that, but I think you know what they did at Florida also helps kind of kill that narrative a little bit as well. And man, they are so close right now. They're gonna this the season might actually be a little bit more frustrating in some ways for Mizzou fans who think about yeah, the possibility of this maybe being a ten win season and how close they were to that. So it's it's been weird. It's such a tough team again, to figure out. With, I mean, like, I mean, if you look at it now, like I. You know, just just say the eye test. Do you think Kentucky or Missouri is a better team? Oh, it's Mizzou. It's Mizzou. And Mizzou was a better team on the field that day. Yeah. But, you know, and do you think Mizzou or South Carolina is a better team? I would still say Mizzou. I'd still say Mizzou. 
and that was a you know a crazy turn of events there. But you're talking about yeah potentially being nine and two, and with the only losses being to Georgia and Bama. And it's just it's it it's I'm happy for Barry Odom. I'm happy for Mizzou because there's no team or fan base in this conference that gets you know more flack from the rest of the conference about them not belonging, all that kind of stuff. And all they do is just keep their head down and keep plugging away. And you know this is the second straight November that he is undefeated. I'm interested to see what. Um... How, how much the Drew Locke narrative changes too in the next month or so because I don't want to assume that he's not playing in a bowl game, but I'd be I'd be surprised if he played in a bowl game because they're gonna I mean let's let's be honest if they end up going to you know like the Music City Bowl or something like right. that or playing in the Tax Slayer Bowl, um, I, I don't know what that's necessarily gonna do for a guy who's been starting a million games when he's got that see, potential first round money at stake. I agree. Uh, in principle, but he, he there was a quote that came out yesterday. They were talking about him, whether or not he wanted to come back at, at the end of last year. And he brought up the fact that it was something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing, like it would be disrespectful to like quit on Mizzou or something like that, that he owed it to them and wanted to come back. I'm definitely paraphrasing here. But I think he's I think he's a guy that really takes a lot of pride in what he's been able to accomplish at Mizzou and, and really wanted to prove a point that, you know, they're not just some – Team, you can just run all over in the SEC. Yeah, and I've I've been critical of Drew Locke, and I'm you know I like I said I've always pointed out his issues against quality opponents and against really teams that can bring pressure, and I still think that that's something that he's going to have to address consistently throughout the pre-draft right. process. But for now, I mean this is a this is a great turn in the final month really for for Mizzou at a program that's heading in the opposite direction. And if you're Tennessee, you still got a chance to clinch bowl eligibility in a favorable matchup next week against Vandy. And if you're Jeremy Pruitt and you get to that sixth win and you get that extra month of practice, you're feeling pretty good about what you've been able to accomplish in right. year one. And I still think, and I wrote this before this week because I wanted this to get out there before this, these final two games, that I still think that if you're a Tennessee fan, you probably could not be much more happy with Jeremy Pruitt than what, you know, than with, considering what he's been able to do this season. And I right. still think even after a blowout loss, that that still holds true. So um, let's talk about Tennessee's opponent next week. Vandy. Let's Wild. get into the good stuff. Nash Vegas so, getting crazy. I don't know if you guys stayed up for this, but good God. Nash, that, that was, we alluded earlier in the week that like, it's a weird matchup because it's Vandy Ole Miss, but that could be a fun game to watch just because of, I don't want to say they're evenly matched per se, but they, in terms of the roller coaster ride of emotions they give their fans and the ups and downs and just frustrations, yep, they are pretty evenly matched. Oh, yeah. And this ended up being one of the craziest games, especially in the second half, I think I've seen all season. And Vandy came away with the win, but we had, you know, like a Des Bryant Green Bay situation to close out the game with AJ Brown. Um and what I thought was a catch in overtime that was ruled not a catch. So basically, and if you miss what happened, uh, Leighton, I mean, Jordan Tamu goes off again, has 457 yards passing. A.J. Brown had nine catches for 214. He's unreal. Or 212. It was, it was incredible. And, you know, your boy, Red Mamba, Keyshawn Vaughn, another buck 20, what is it, buck 27, that was good. Um, they, I mean, they looked good. And Ole Miss's defense gave up the fewest amount of yards they've given up all season. Go figure. Yeah, I mean, so it was, a, they they didn't give it away. They didn't play that poorly. But you get into overtime, and and I'm, I'm watching this like, Vandy had so many chances to put this game away and just didn't. And there were a lot of calls that, both ways, but really toward, like, late in the game that you were like, how did they just make this call? Like, how? Like, and it was, the refs were 
heavily influencing the, the outcome of this game. Um, they end up holding Ole Miss to a field goal. Ole Miss, they go to overtime, um, and it's tied, what, 29-29. And Vanderbilt gets the ball first. They go down. And Ole Miss has all the momentum at this point, and they score in, like, two or three plays. And the receiver, I guess, who caught the ball, throws, oh, throws the ball up in the you air. You killed your right there. I just hit my fort. <laughs> throws the ball up in the air in celebration. Not, like, into the stands, just in the air. They call unsportsmanlike. Which is like, Which I thought was on. that you move, yeah. In that moment, oh. that, I thought you moved the ball back. Like, it was just on the extra point. Nope. Apparently, in overtime, that means it's, it's assessed what would be on the kickoff. So, Ole Miss got the ball at the 12-and-a-half-yard line on the next drive. And they... I, I thought hit AJ Brown in the end zone for a touchdown, and it was one of the most bizarre things to unfold because they called it a touchdown, then they, then they reviewed it, and it looked like it might have been stripped away. But he got both feet down, caught it with both hands at first, then his butt hits the ground. He transitions the ball into his right hand, and then the Vanderbilt defender rolls over the top of him, and takes the ball away, and then he ends up with the ball. It was obviously a touchdown. And they called it an incomplete pass. The ball never touched the ground. It never touched the ground. It was an incomplete pass because they said the ground aided in his reception of it. That's a weird it's – it's kind of perfectly fitting, though, that these teams played in a game like that where it's yeah. back and forth, wild, crazy finish. Um, that's, that's what I want. That's what I want of all these yeah. games where, where we're talking about four or five win teams. I mean, think about it. We're talking about – this game way earlier than we probably would have on a, right. in a given week, and it was because it was that entertaining. And uh, Vandy now, you know, the Vandy gets gets a win here and still keeps bowl eligibility chances alive next week in what's going to be a win or go home game against Tennessee. <laughs> or that's what we're billing it as. Um, the great uh, bowl. It's 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 essentially like a like a pre bowl that'll that we'll get to see uh, between the two I don't know what you're saying. Uh, well, because everybody calls, like, SEC championship and, you know, basically all conference championships, like, yeah, like quarterfinal games for the playoff. Yeah. So This is for the, I think, 6A Division three state title um, for for the state of Tennessee. But, yeah, but yeah, moving on from that, um, there's a lot of other SEC games that happened uh, that weren't, weren't necessarily as exciting as this one. So... Just a couple takeaways going through, I guess, the, the rest of the games. How about Mississippi, Mississippi State? Man. That was the offense that we yeah. thought was possible. And I know it's Arkansas, and I understand that Mississippi State fans wish that it could have come earlier in the season and they could have looked like that against Kentucky and LSU and all that stuff. But still, what a great way for Nick Fitzgerald to go out. I mean, to get that kind of performance, uh, a guy who's had just an, an up-and-down senior season – to get to have that kind of outburst in his final game in Stark Vegas yeah. was cool to see. Uh, someone who has meant so much to that program. And, you know, Arkansas, what can you say about it at this point? Like, we were wondering what this team was going to look like down the stretch. I've praised Ty Story because I think he just keeps playing in these games where even though his team's not competing for a bowl game or anything like that, and I love that he does that. But this was a game where, if you're an Arkansas fan, that – Santa fan that I tweeted out the picture of that kind that of was good. that kind of encapsulated encapsulated everything that you could have thought uh, in that moment. Just that's that sucks. Like these are these are the games that you yeah. that you just hate and you you just pray that you don't have to experience too many too many more of these in what's the beginning of the Chad Morris era. But the the big takeaway is still Mississippi State looking like the offense that we thought it could look like throughout this year. Yeah, and I mean. 
It was impressive, and the defense, as usual, looked really good. I, I, I enjoyed that. It was good to see Nick Fitzgerald go out you know, the way he did. Also cover 21.5 points, just like I thought they would Easy. as my lock of the week. Easy. Um, and then UGA and Auburn, both of them rolling. It was uh, that UGA game, man. Big plays, big I, plays, big plays. <laughs> the over-under was 65, I want to say, and UGA covered it themselves. Big time. 66, I mean, and so I think the big takeaway for me on this was, one, the rushing attack. I know it's UMass who had a terrible, terrible defense. Hey, but Luke um, said they play really, really hard. Yes, he so did. So let's not forget uh, that. And they they covered, so that was nice. Yep. However, uh, which again just shows you how great Vegas is if it was 41 and a half and they won by 36 39. 66 to 27 ridiculous. cover. That's, I mean, but they, like, Justin Fields getting extra playing time, uh, threw for over 100 yards, ran for over 100 yards, had three total touchdowns. That was, and they threw an absolute just dime. Uh, to Michael Harbin. So that was my biggest takeaway from that. Real now, quick on, on Justin Fields. We haven't we haven't talked about this a lot, um, but c- considering how big of a profile he has, how much Georgia fans are invested in him moving forward, obviously. I know Jim Chaney's been criticized a lot because I, and, and for me too, I, I haven't necessarily liked every instance that he's been used to sort of ignite the running game. And I think they become a little bit more predictable when he's out there. But I think Kirby Smart deserves credit for how he has kept Justin Fields engaged and part of this game plan in a way that allows him to do a lot of different things now, at least when we see in games like this where he actually lets him throw the ball, while still never having any doubt as to whether or not Jake Fromm is the starter of this team. Right. And that's that's hard to do. That's really hard to do. And I think that, that the balance that they've been able to strike where you feel like Justin Fields is a legit part of this team and it's different than the Tebow stuff back when he was you know sharing it with Chris Leak but I think if you're a team that's game planning against Georgia you have to be ready for Justin Fields now I mean how yeah. can you how can you go into a game and think that we're that you're only going to see Jake Fromm given what we what he got to throw out there and put on film and we're starting to see some of the Cam Newton like comparisons with him I just think that Kirby Smart has really managed this well and better than I thought that he could have now. What he does with him next year moving forward when Jake Fromm is entering what we think will be his final year at UGA, that's a different discussion. But for now, this has been one of the better quarterback storylines of the season to, to just follow. And I think a lot of coaches are going to try and pull off something similar to what he did. Yeah. No, it's almost like Kirby had a plan all along. Go figure. Yeah, I know, right? Um, how about Auburn? Auburn won 53 nothing over our boy Buckshot, Calvert, and Liberty. Oh, poor Buckshot. Um, yeah, that was tough. But Cam Martin back. Where did he go? I mean, I assume that if you have an Auburn, if you're an Auburn player with a K name, it's only a matter of time before you get going. It's water finding yeah. its level when an Auburn player with a there K you name go. picks up his game and, and produces in a big way. That, that was just all it was. I would agree. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was impressive to see. Uh, putting up over 300 yards rushing and all that good stuff. Um, defense obviously looked good. And then, let's see, Felipe Franks staying hot against those fighting potatoes of Idaho. And Luke staying hot on Twitter by saying, yeah, a lot of those throws, uh, better teams would be defending against those. And, I mean, <laughs> Luke, Luke's just going to keep firing I mean, firing I'm not going to say man. anything about that because I trolled so hard this weekend. Um, so hard. <laughs> but, anyway, so... They they look good. I think they, they, they won big over Idaho. Not much really to talk about in that one. Emory Jones looks pretty good. Um, Gator fans are now saying that Emory Jones could have won up a bunch of games that they lost and pretending like he's... Of course. You know, and, and that's not necessarily a knock on him, but you know, as, as Luke said last week, I think that you, know, you want to win the games now, and Felipe, right. 
is still, you know, considering the, the current quarterback room that doesn't have the hero, Kyle Trask, in it. Um, That's yeah, also That Felipe Franks gives him the best chance to win. Um, so that all happened. Let's see. Uh, Kentucky got back on track against Middle Tennessee State. Did not cover the spread. That was a tough one. Um, but, yeah, 34-23. I'll tell you what. How about uh, Luke Stocksill, whatever his name is, from MTSU on 30 of 33? Coach's Against son, Kentucky defense. Coach's son, kid can ball. I mean, that's that was crazy. Yeah, that that seeing Middle Tennessee actually score points against an SEC team weird for this year. Yeah, but it, it happened nonetheless. Um, I want did you okay? So I was wondering if you saw this Cash Daniels quote after the yeah, game. I loved it. Um, I love it too. And if you haven't if you haven't seen it yet, I'll, I'll read it real quick for you. So this was what he said. Um, when asked about the attendance at Kroger Field, which wasn't great. As we talked about early on. For senior day. Yeah, for senior day, not great. Uh, The whole Kentucky fans move on to basketball when November hits, that narrative definitely looked pretty good uh, yesterday. But this is what Cash Daniel had to say. He said, honestly, dude, I'm really disappointed. That stadium should have been filled out to the max. You've got a ranked team, first eight-win season since the 80s. You've got to see Josh Allen break a sack record here. And look at this. You've got Nebraska, a football powerhouse, wins national championships, still sells out 80,000-plus 80, plus when they were 0-5. We're bowl eligible for the past three years in a row. And on senior day, this is the class that, Kentucky, that turned Kentucky football around. And understandably disappointed, like, so that that was the that was the entire quote, um, but yeah. understandably disappointed that you're, you're you want this swan song. I mean, you're you're a guy who's who's had this great season, and you feel like yeah, even though it's Middle Tennessee, like you should still be able to to sell out. And if you want to be this team that gets this kind of respect, you kind of got to show up all year round. Like that's that's the yeah. way it works. Agreed, and it was it was really. Surprising to me that people took it in the worst way possible, which I thought was just ridiculous because the kid is so passionate. He's been such a, a great, great leader on that team and just honestly did a really good job all year of, of kind of rallying that not only the team, but the fans as well. And all of a sudden he catches flack because of, you know, what he said about like calling out the fans or whatever in quotes. I, I thought he was dead on. I thought he was dead on. And, and, you know, the whole thing about Kentucky fans a lot throughout the season, and we, we kind of give him a hard time about, you know, the whole narrative about, basketball season versus football season, how they're bigger, you know, just waiting on basketball season. You know how to change that narrative is show up on senior day when you have the best team that you have seen at your school, at your program, like, and done things they haven't done in three decades. And then on the last day, you don't show up. I mean, like, I... And there are other things that go with that, too, because it's not just, okay, you're... And, he, and real quick, Cash Daniel's not calling out the diehard Kentucky fans. Our, our guys, like right. one bearded golfer, you know, who these, these people who have rooted for, for Kentucky for a long time, one bearded golfer roots for Kentucky, right? He's, yeah. he's a big Kentucky guy. I thought he tweeted at me something South Carolina related to, but. No, he's a Carolina, he's a Kentucky fan. Okay, that's right. All right, sorry, one bearded golfer. Um, but he's not calling out the diehards. He's not calling out people who are showing up regardless if, if it's Georgia, Middle Tennessee. He's calling out the people who are, you know, maybe got on board the bandwagon and then hopped off as soon as they lost to Georgia. So I get all that. But the image that this gives to the rest of the country is significant. And if you're, if you're, you know, there, there are recruiting impacts of this too. If you're a yeah. recruit who shows up on campus and you're seeing a half empty stadium playing, you know, to, to watch a, a team that's going to win nine games and 
you're like, what, what's the deal? This doesn't feel like a big time atmosphere. This is how we elevate our program. And this, is, this year has to be the year that Kentucky changes some of that and, and elevates its program in some way. So I have no problem with Cash Daniel coming out and saying this, even though it, it is going to rub fans the wrong way just because it right. is their money that they're spending. And, you know, I, I, I get all that. So that, I think that was kind of a theme throughout co- the, you know, the week, really, in college football and a lot of fan bases that might have checked out a little bit early, you know, given that it's, it wasn't the best slate of games. But, right. Um, yeah, so Benny Snell, as you said, gets back on track. And Kentucky still maybe could win 10 games? Yeah. I mean... Gonna play a Louisville a team. Game. Gonna play a Louisville team that doesn't have Bobby Petrino um, in that juggernaut offense anymore. So, yeah, I think that's still very, very much a possibility. Um, so, A and M crushes the nation's best defense, as Jimbo Fisher oh my called gosh. it. UAB. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I got burned by UAB last year, predicting that they were going to beat Florida because that didn't allow me to get burned by them this year. Uh, A and M was ready to go for that one, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, they were, and it was. I mean, that's kind of what I thought would happen going into it because a and is a good team, um, and we've talked about how, you know, it's it's a great story for UAB throughout the season. However, going to College Station, I've key, I know you don't really like to bring it up as much, but, like, the Jimbo Records record, or Jimbo uh, Fisher's record in the month of November is really, really impressive. Going, I think he's, what, 28-5 and five now? Something like that. 29-5, yeah. so. Um, I think it looked good. Trevion Williams. Looks really, really good again. First team, uh, so first team All SEC, Travion Williams. Without a doubt. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he went for 167, so he continues to uh, extend the lead of, you know, I guess what is it, most rushing yards in the in the entire conference over Benny Snell, who finally got back on track, like we said. So, so I thought it was a good win. I think Travion Williams is going to the NFL. Is that a dumb question? Uh, he's he's got to run a lot of different, some different style offenses. I think he's really marketable in terms of. A guy who can catch passes out of the backfield. Um, like I know go size early wise, in the NFL? he'd be because he's he's a junior this year, so he'd be. I know he's a, he's a smaller back. He's not necessarily your big two hundred thirty, you know, two hundred twenty pound prototypical three three down back necessarily. But I think that just given the fact that he's played in different offenses, where he's been in a pro style offense, he's been in what Kevin Sumlin ran, where you you know you're running the spread attack. I think that he can kind of go anywhere and play. I I don't I'm not necessarily saying that he's going to be like a first round guy, but he's he he'll be interesting to follow this postseason if, if he's yeah. going to try. I, mean, and, I think he could. Yeah. I, I think you know it might be the best. Time for him to do so and kind of, I guess, piggyback off the success. So, who knows? Um, so LSU ends up beating Rice like a drum because, you know, as we said coming into this one, Rice was a team that had lost ten in a row. And right, even though LSU's offense hasn't looked like a juggernaut, it should have still had no problems scoring against Rice. And sure enough, that's what ends up happening in this one. Um, if you're if you're LSU, so we were just talking about about AM here, and of course that end of season matchup is I think it's gonna be a really good one. But if you're LSU, where are you at right now, just in terms of your impressions of the offense with Steve Ensminger in year one, with Joe Burrow knowing that he's coming back next year, assuming that you know nothing crazy happens, um, you know, late season injury or just I, I don't know, weird things happen. But if you're an LSU fan, how, how do you feel right now about the overall direction of your program? I think you feel pretty strong about it. I mean, like the only hiccup really was the uh, Florida game and then Bama. So I, I think they're in great position. You got an A&M game this week that'll be pretty big. Even, 
I don't really understand how it's a rivalry necessarily, but you know they'll just can hopefully for their sake continue to beat them like they do every year. Can we call? Um, can we do a thing where um, it's not official? We can't officially call it a rivalry until both teams have won a game in it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's I like fair. That. Yeah. Sorry, um, didn't mean that was a cheap shot. <laughs> no, I mean it's also fair. Yeah. So yeah, I mean I, I'm excited for. For that game, I mean, they're going to go ten and two. I think. I think they beat A and M. Yeah, I just I, I asked that question just because I, I think that they're they're going to return so much production next year, and right. you had kind of had twenty nineteen circled as the day where all you know these these great recruits that 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 Ed Orgeron's been able to bring in they they should be you know the meat of the roster here and and twenty nineteen was potentially going to be the year even if they struggled this year where they could start off as a preseason top five, top 10 team easily. Right. And I think this year has spun that forward. And now we're, it'll be really, really interesting to look to see where they start. And a lot of that could be if they go to a New Year's Six Bowl game and, and winning in convincingly or, or, or something like that. But um, I, I just wonder that because for so many years, in many ways, this season, a season like this would not have been good enough. Right, and we talked no, about less miles I think at the top. Is, it's a different mindset now. It is. Um, I, so I, th- I think it's it'll. I, I think. I mean, you'd have to be crazy for the fans to not think that they are. They, this is a successful season. You know what's funny is LSU still going to be ranked ahead of Ohio State in the playoff rankings. Oh, I can't wait for that. <laughs> it's still, still going to happen. LSU is still going to be up. Maybe, maybe Washington State will move past LSU, but West Virginia is definitely not. Uh, right. Sorry, Will Greer. Um, okay, so let's let's close uh, let's close out our uh, SEC roundtable or um, S- around the SEC, whatever. I just made up a terrible name for that. South Carolina, Jake Bentley, they're able to get rolling and and, and win convincingly. Which for for South Carolina, man, close game after close game after close game, probably had to feel good not to like, you know, down yeah, down to, to the wire, one out. sweat it out. Um, and especially consider we were talking about, I, I wrote my, you know, so shameless plug, I wrote a column just about Will Muschamp's upside, really. And yeah. somebody who struggled so much against ranked opponents. You need to look like this against the cupcakes. I mean, you need to, yeah, like, agreed. have games like this where you just kind of remind the fan base, you know, we are still at least a decent Power 5 program, and we're still able to to put a hurting on teams. Because South Carolina has just kind of struggled to do that in many in many ways, um, so I, I think it's kind of important to, to just have reminders, little reminders like this. Yeah, I would agree with that. So let's let's look around uh, the the rest of the the college football landscape because UCF was a big topic of conversation because of game day hosting, or Orlando getting college game day, and everybody was going crazy over, uh, you know, all the signs they were showing, and some of, some of which were really really good, really good. Um, but I, I just thought the whole UCF thing. I don't. I don't want to say it was their moment in the sun because that's the wrong way to to phrase it. Because they're still undefeated and they could still very much go to a New Year's Six bowl game. But I still come back to the belief that even after what they did on Saturday night, where they kill Cincinnati, I mean, the game is a three score game. They're still not getting a playoff. No, they're not getting to the playoff, but um, we'll we'll go rapid fire through these. I was excited. It was it was a cool environment. They looked better than I thought. I was impressive, or I was impressed with uh, the turnout. Like I knew the fans would show up for them, just because 
you know, they are a passionate bunch. Um, as, as what I'll say, I guess. And the yeah, like most signs ever. Like I think on game day, I want to give a quick shout out to Ali Kaylee Hall, um, who follows us on social media, who used the sign that I made that says "We want Bama" with a Bama crossed out and says "We want attention." So good, so good. Um, she actually she made that sign and then took it to game day and actually got on ESPN. So that was pretty cool. So appreciate that. Uh, let's see. I mean, yeah, I was impressed. Mackenzie Melton looked okay. Um, you know, Cincinnati. I knew they were supposed to have a pretty good defense, and I'm not taking away anything from UCF's defense at all. But this is a team that had been giving up like, like historically bad numbers in the past three games in a row. Gave up 700 yards to Temple. And, I mean, just, they were, like, what was Cincinnati? I don't understand what Cincinnati's offensive philosophy was uh, at it's, any point. It's, it's not much of one. It's not yeah, much of one. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, I, um, yeah, I was impressed with all that. I said my other favorite things of the day, Ohio State almost losing. That was just Urban <sighs> Meyer and his reactions just becoming, I mean, not even him becoming a meme, just, cons- like, several times over is Urban, becoming a meme. Is Urban Meyer the most gifable coach in college football? Uh, outside of Orgeron, maybe so, yeah. He's, but I mean, he there. just he's he wears his emotions on oh his sleeves, and they are not very good. So, I, yeah, that was that was fun. I cannot believe that Maryland didn't go, or they went for two, and then they just what? No, 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 no. Don't say you can't believe that they didn't go for two. This was no, Mac- they missed the pass. Right, right. I mean, the yeah. the throw was a rocket. It did. I mean, yeah. looking at that throw in real time, you're like, oh my gosh, why'd you throw it so yeah, hard? Wide open. Tough throw to make. Probably should have still made it, in my opinion. It's easy, very easy for me to say, but uh, throwing, you know, rolling out to his right and kind of throwing across his body. But Ohio State yeah. avoids the the disaster at Maryland to set up that big showdown against Michigan. We're going to get to see Shea Patterson potentially go into uh, go into the horseshoe, and that game is going to maybe determine that fourth and final playoff spot. It could potentially. I still don't think that. In, Ohio State controls its own fate. And actually, I would still maybe even say that Bama um, could potentially have the upper hand if it were to lose to Georgia. And even if Michigan won out, I know we disagree on that. We don't have to keep talking about that. But no, but my last and absolute favorite thing, or actually second to last favorite thing from this weekend, Tom Herman's wife. Yeah, speaking of Ohio State. Um, rocking a OK Cool Hook'em shirt. <laughs> at the Texas Iowa State game, Savage. and and that was the best part of that game because so I'm, we're going to mention this in a second. Uncle Chris absolutely killed it this weekend. Um, I went fifteen and five on Saturday on my my picks. I had Texas. I lost I lost a decent amount in USC. That was a tough run for me, but Texas killed it. Um, the one gripe I have about this whole that whole game that's one of the few games across the country on Saturday that featured ranked opponents, especially during Cupcake Week, as we call it, like, and how there weren't that many great games on the slate. Right. That game was on the Longhorn Network. You have a number 16 Iowa State versus number 15 Texas, and the rest of the country can't see it because of your stupid, stupid TV channel that nobody watches. And if you think it's not a, a, a bad idea still, just think, like, all the programming they have to fill for the other nine months – you know what it is every single week. It's just a replay of that, that Rose Bowl against USC. So that, that pissed me off. I was pretty upset about that. Um, anyway. Go, wait, go figure. Somebody threw this out on Twitter, um, and I think it's, it's, it's fascinating to bring up. UCF, which was 0-12 two years ago, hosted college game day and played Cincinnati in a primetime game on ABC with Kirk yeah. Street in the house and Fowler there. And, and that game is on 
at prime time. And they get that bidding while Texas and Iowa State are both right. ranked teams and they play on the Longhorn Network. That's a sign that the Longhorn Network probably not working out so well. Just saying. And you got to ask yourself, is there is there going to be a UCF network at some point? I would hope so. I mean, they would just show replays of 2017 nonstop. And no, it would just constantly be reading mean tweets. Ooh, um, so you know how that's all you know how if you flip to the Red Zone channel when it's not during a Sunday and they'll have like you know the the, the idle screen. It's essentially like a screensaver. <laughs> just music. UCF would just would be the fake national championship trophy the entire yeah. time, and then every once in a while. Uh, like they would show that for maybe like 15, 16 hours a day, and then they would show like a game from the 2017 season, and then just go back to that. From six o'clock to eight <laughs> o'clock, we've got me owning SDS on Twitter. Oh um, all right, so moving on, uh, we want to give a little shout out to uh, our, our good friends. We're going in here into Rivalry Week uh, in the SEC Championship game, so we want to give a shout out to our friends at Sweet Hop. Now is the time of year when champions are made, y'all. You know that. I know that. We're counting down the days till Georgia and Bama meet up in Atlanta for a rematch of last year's national championship. Uh, we're three weeks left before the championship. There's still a lot of movement to be had in the playoff run. But we're betting one, and maybe both of these teams make it to San Francisco. And if they do, you know who's going to be there, Connor? Imagine Dragons. <laughs> nope. Marler's going to be there. I might be there. Um, our friends at Sweet Hop also will be there. They have the best access to luxury suites at Mercedes-Benz Stadium and Le- Levi Stadium. Uh, and have dozens of options for you to choose from. Cheer your team on in style, or, or if you own a business, invite top clients to show how well you know them. If you own a business, also still invite me. I'll come, I'll juggle, I'll do a lot of stuff, man. We can play drinking games. I won't embarrass you. I promise, all right? No, okay. Well, either way. But if you own a business, definitely definitely reach out to some people. Um, when you book a suite, your group will start out in a VIP parking, skip the lines at general admission, and head to your suite for the rest of the game. And I can't tell you how big of a deal that is, and I want to give a shout-out again to the guys at Sweet Hop for that, because these games, guys, I went to the national championship game last year. It took two hours to get into the stadium. So I uh, can't uh, stress that enough how great that is. That is the sweet life, y'all. View avail- availability and pricing at sweethop.com slash SEC today. After the season's over, Sweet Hop has you covered year-round with amazing access to suites and stadiums and arenas throughout North America. Chris juggling at each event, not always included. Let's get some Week 13 Rivalry Week lines. Yeah, um, let's do that. Okay, so we don't have the lines out yet. However, we're going to guess them like we always do. Um, and hopefully that goes well. So we've got, let's see here. Turkey Day. First off, on Turkey Day, Mississippi State at Ole Miss. The egg what bowl. do you got? You know what they always the say? Bowl. Throw the records out. They don't mean anything in a rivalry game. Um, Who says it like that? I don't know. I don't know what voice that was. It just happened. I apologize for that, America. <laughs> Mississippi State will be favored in this one. That much we know. I think they only get, or give, I guess in this case, I think they're seven and a half point favorites. So I'm going to say, especially with Ole Miss, um, it's at Ole Miss, which I don't think they have much home field advantage considering the fact that they are using this as a BOGO. Um, It's literally buy one, get one free to go to these games. I am going to say nine and a half. Mississippi State's favored by nine and a half in this one. This is like a bowl game for for Ole Miss. That's the way that they've been building up in that locker room throughout the entire season. Ironically enough, they have five wins and they'd be going for six, but of course they are ineligible for the postseason. So I do think that Ole Miss gets up for this one, um, and I think that Vegas will take that into consideration because if you just looked at this 
purely based on what that Mississippi State defense has and how much Ole Miss has really struggled in SEC play, I would tend to think that that line would be way bigger, but I don't know. Maybe that that thought is just still in the back of odds makers' minds, and this won't be quite a double-digit spread. That's just my guess. Okay. Um, on Friday, Arkansas heads to Missouri for one of those forced rivalry games we, we know and love so much about. Um, so I am going to say it's at Mizzou. They're coming off that big win. I will say, let me see here, Mizzou by 24. Ooh, that's a lot. That's a lot, but I'm not, I'm not hating on that considering Arkansas just lost 52-6. to six. Um, Yeah, 24 sounds good. I'll, I'll go a little bit less. I'll say 21 and a half. Um, okay. Oh, because I, I do think that Vegas loves, loves Mizzou, and I think that this offense looks like a juggernaut, and I don't think that Arkansas can stay in the field with them. But, yeah, that just that 24 seems like a ton of points. Um, yeah, let's, let's stick with 21 and a half. Yeah. Also, I want to give a quick shout-out to Antonio Brown for catching a 78-yard touchdown pass from a fantasy team. Oh, thank you, Lord. He's on my yeah, team as well. Yeah, that was big because this has not been good, and we are doing this right in the middle of the games. Falcons are killing it right now, Connor. Um, anyway, next one. Here we go. Saturday, actual rivalry day. Um, Georgia Tech at Georgia. Clean old-fashioned hate. Be in Athens. Um, Georgia, they've won, like, I think, what, 37-7 to last year or 38-7? What do you got? Wasn't close. Georgia's going to be a significant favorite. I'm thinking closer to 29. Can we go 29? That's a good guess. I'm going to say 24. Um, and I was down there yesterday, like I said, at Bobby Dodd for that, that electric environment. I love that stadium, man, so much. But that, yeah, that crowd, man. I've never seen more people show up with, like, two minutes to go or two minutes, like, into the like with like before halftime, it's ridiculous. I look forward to hearing about how well Georgia Tech did go into Georgia and win that game two years ago. So you should never count well, out. Yeah. And two thousand eight. Which who cares? My I, and I tell you what though, there is not. See the reason why this isn't ever going to be funny more is because Kentucky. I mean, sorry, uh, Kirby Smart is too good of a coach now to, to allow that to happen any any kind of consistency. But when it used to be Mark Rick versus Paul Johnson, Paul Johnson is is an a hole. Just like I'll, I'll censor myself. He is such an a hole, and it's kind of funny, but it's also like, man. So him beating him beating Georgia was always kind of funny, um, but yeah, I don't I don't see that happening this year. So Florida goes to Florida State. Uh, it's a noon kickoff. God, this game used to be so much fun back in the day. Florida State already talking trash, saying how they're going to beat the Gators. Uh, what do you think the line will be? Florida's going to be. Favored more than it has in any trip to Tallahassee in a while. That much we know. I'm going to say Florida's a 13-point favorite. Oh, I had it at 13 and a half. Good for you. There you go. Although Florida State um, Florida State did just beat Boston College and was favored in that game, right? Or maybe they were like a one-point dog. That line was way, way smaller than what I thought it would be. And Florida State ended up winning that game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. All right. That was our ACC talk again. Wait, wait. For, for yesterday? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were one and a half point underdog, and they won on the last uh, last two-minute like, drive or some crap. And then right. Willie Target, or Taggart, went off. Willie Target? Went off. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, dude. I, 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 Willie, whatever. Just like, okay. Willie Taggart absolutely <laughs> went nuts in the locker room afterwards celebrating. It was like, jeez, dude, really? Oh, like, man. You Willie just beat Target. Boston College. 
Uh, anyway, so we're gonna skip the 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 big one and save that one for last. How about Vandy in Tennessee? Boilageability on the line. Oh my gosh. Bragging rights in the state of Tennessee on the line. Can this game have any more high stakes? I don't think so. You got you talking about a a, a a region eight division title. These seniors, man, I tell you what, you I mean you got some of them our running backs been here, you know, for a long time. He's, I, one of them just had a thousand yard career rushing. I mean, that's I'm just trying to compare this to high school football. Vandy's gonna be a three and a half point favorite. Boom! Connor, you were killing it. I had three. Nice. I really thought you would say uh, Tennessee would be favored in that one. Nah, no, um, I can't get on that. Let's see. South Carolina at Clemson. Hey. So, and this, what's weird about this is Clemson has been a big, big favorite as of late. And understandably in, in a, so. In a couple of those games. So, I thought that was, um, this will be interesting. So, anyway, go on. Clemson is going to be a, at least, at least a 20-point favorite. Um, I'm going to... It's twenty six. No, I'm gonna go. Oh my god. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go twenty six point favorite. In Death okay. Valley, I just think that that Clemson. I think Clemson has the biggest um, has the biggest scoring margin since I think like the start of October, which is crazy considering how dominant Bama has been as well. But uh, yeah, let's let's go twenty six. Sorry, South Carolina fans. I don't think this one's gonna be close. Yeah, I'm gonna say. Mm, I think it's closer than that. I'm gonna say 17 and a half. And the stat too about Muschamp against ranked teams. That that narrative has continued this year. Is that bad? But they've just gotten killed by teams that they should beat, or teams that yeah. not that they should beat, but teams that they should like maybe be able to stay in the same field with. So, uh, um, let's say actually, you know, what? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna change it up. I'm gonna say 14 and a half. Wow. Yeah, I don't know why. Um, Kentucky at Louisville. Kentucky will be will definitely be favored unless Louisville somehow hires Jeff Brown to coach this final game. Not ruling it out, but Kentucky will be a and a no, that's too much. That's too much. Kentucky will be a nine and a half point favorite. So I'm gonna say Kentucky will be a twenty one point favorite. Wow, that much? Yeah, I mean, this is Louisville's one of the worst teams in the country. They're terrible. Oh, I don't they know what the score was they yesterday. Are. No doubt. But they, they've had, uh, I think, I, again, I don't know what the score was yesterday, but I think before yesterday, all but three teams that they had played um, have put up over um, 50 points against them. Again, from the Power Five. This isn't me saying this. Is, so if I don't want Kentucky fans to take this as a slap in the face, I think this is what Vegas thinks of Kentucky. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so we got two more LSU at AM. LSU will definitely be favored, but not by that much. Man, I, I'm I'm gonna say this spread's gonna is not gonna be big. Just because this is still going on the road. I know LSU dominates AM, historically speaking. And by historically, I mean since AM came to the SEC. But I think this still ends up being less than a touchdown. Just because Vegas has had questions about the LSU offense. Six and a half points LSU was favored by. I'm going to say three. Wow, that's small. That's small, really. And last but not least, Bama at home versus Auburn. I will be there. I'm very excited. I cannot wait. Um, should be a good one. So, yeah, it's a home game for Bama. Auburn coming off that, that big one against Liberty. What do you got? Bama's going to be favored by at least three touchdowns. I'm going to split the difference between three and four touchdowns. 
and go 24 and a half point favorite. That is literally what I have written oh down. Oh my gosh. Wait, <laughs> so wait. there you go. That's a walk. Um, anyway, so we, this week, we don't have Ed Talks. We have a special um, segment for you. Oh my. A little interview with Daryl Carroll. The man, the myth, the legend. The man, the myth, the legend. It'll be at the end of this episode, so make sure you tune in for that. Um, you know, and Ed Talks can return next week, but you know, this week, Connor was out of town, put me in charge of, uh, of planning, so you're gonna be stuck with my favorite segment that I've, we've had in a while, is Daryl Carroll. So, Daryl Carroll's an interesting that. man. He's a very interesting man. He's an interesting man. man. He's a, a man, he's, he's, he's done a lot in his time, um, as you'll hear about later at the yeah. end of the episode. But, before we close out here, do you wanna give you guys a little heads up? If you are gonna be in Atlanta, um, actually, first off, if you're going to be in Tuscaloosa for the Iron Bowl this week, make sure you hit us up. We'll be there um, handing out some stuff with Bud Light. Uh, so make sure you hit me up on Twitter or us, the podcast at Twitter, all that good stuff. Um, and we will hopefully be able to meet up with you guys then. Also, uh, if you are going to be in Atlanta for the SEC Championship game or you just live in Atlanta the weekend of the SEC Championship game, make sure you come meet up with me and Connor yes. from the SCS Pod. We are going to have a... Um, a little meetup, a gathering, a get-together, a happy hour, uh, probably a little Q&A segment. Um, just a, a good old-fashioned, you know, get-together and, and drink and have some friendship and fellowship at uh, Sports and Social at the Battery of Atlanta on November 30th, so the Friday before the SEC Championship game, starting at 6 o'clock. So, would love it for you guys to show up. We are going to be doing it with the UGA uh, Atlanta alumni chapter. Really excited to be a part of that, and We'll have some more details as the time gets closer, but make sure you are there if you are in Atlanta that weekend. That's so, going to be awesome. Very much I'm looking excited. forward to that. That'll be yes. a lot of fun. Definitely want to check that out. Let's close with it might mean too much. We talked about it earlier. It's the Citadel winning Twitter. If you saw it yesterday, the Citadel was trolling Bama in the first half after tying, going into the locker room tied, which was, of course, the entire Twitter sphere was having a field day with, but nobody was having more fun than the Citadel. And before I know Bama fans might have been a little bit, you know, rubbed the wrong way, and they're like, oh, scoreboard, you know, it was a final score. It was hilarious. But it was unbelievable. The trolling that they were doing, where every single time they would score a touchdown or do anything, they would say like, oh, hey, SEC team here, like, you know, they trolled Ole Miss, they trolled, they trolled Mizzou, LSU, Mississippi State. Scoring touchdowns against Bama is not that hard. <laughs> it was God, It was, was so, so good. And I want to give credit to them because they're not even verified on Twitter. Um, that And they were the number one trending topic in, in the world, I th- or maybe just in the U.S. yesterday. Probably just Probably in the just U.S. Probably just the U.S. Um, definitely just in the U.S. And um, they're still not verified on Twitter, despite the fact that they... Probably gained so many followers, but this is what you this is what you have to do if you're a program like this. Like remember um, when UMBC beat Virginia in the yeah. 16 against the one? It, it, it felt like this in in many ways, and just because we don't get these moments like this in college football very often. And the Citadel was straight fire. If you just, yeah. I'm not going to read all, all these tweets because they're they're so no, good. No, just we retweeted all of them though, so check it out. Make sure you guys check them out. Yeah, and watching them tweet at Twitter to try and get verified during this great moment was so good. <laughs> was just as good. So the Citadel, I would love to um, let's let's just adopt the Citadel for a year and let's just have have some fun with them because I need to I need to see more tweets like that 
a lot more often. They, they could hang with some SEC teams. Okay. With what they, right. well, with, we're going to close it on with that. what they did in the first half. They could hang with some SEC teams. Let's let's close. You never that. know. Um, appreciate you guys um, for uh, tuning in today. I am in Chicago, which I didn't even say in the beginning because I'm at, I was at a friend's wedding on Saturday. I did watch plenty of college football. Don't get me wrong, but um, I did. Uh, I was at a friend's wedding last night. Had a great time. Um, we are going to be together very, very soon, as we said, in Atlanta in a couple weeks at the SEC Championship. But yeah. make sure that you are still following us on all things social media. Make sure you're watching us on Facebook Live Monday night, Tuesday night, and Saturday morning. Let Uncle Boom. Chris, he's right. He's got. He's on a heater right now. Just yeah. Let him make yeah, you some money. Yeah, I am. 15 and 5 on the weekend. Love it. You are uh, an extremely prolific gambler. I will not Thank you, that. sir. It means a lot to me. Make sure you're following us on Instagram as well, on Twitter, at the SDS pod, at C Marler SDS, at C Joe Garrett. We will do five-star reviews on Wednesday. Please continue to send those in. Subscribe, rate, review, do all of those fun things. Coach O, I know we didn't hear from you today, but could we hear from you now with the most important thing to remember? Oh, Connor, you already know. Have a Thanksgiving. And mind me too much. Talk to you Wednesday. So, something we're doing at Saturday on South is uh, kind of closing out the off season. Is is a look at look back at some of the greatest SEC football games of all time, and uh, we're doing a series called SDS uh, Stories, where I, Daryl Carroll, kind of go through some of the behind the scenes stuff and uh, you know inside information and uh, things maybe the fans don't know about with some of the greatest games of all time. Um, SDS approached me to, uh, to do the series and I, you know, obliged because I honestly, you know, I love talking about my career. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's all fun and I love SEC football, but also I really needed that 75 bucks that they Venmoed me. So, um, I hope y'all enjoy it. And, uh, you know, a little background on me. I was, a I was an assistant coach, um, for years. Also what I call a, a valued volunteer. Uh, in the SEC for about 27 years. Um, a lot of people may not know my name, but I've got a yeah. You know a lot of a lot of my accomplishments and things I contributed to the game, and uh, you know I got a long long resume. Um, a little bit about me. I, I invented the role of the get back coach. That was one of my one of my big things. Um, you know back when I was uh, an assistant at Mississippi State under Jackie Sherrill, um, early 90s. I you know. That was probably my favorite position, to be honest, because, you know, it was a right after my third divorce and uh, subsequently first DUI, um, and it was just nice to finally get some of that anger and stress out, you know, and just be able to kind of work through some of my pent-up aggressions and emotions, um, you know, by screaming at kids. Uh, I also helped a lot with uh, camps, summer camps, evaluating talent. Um, I was actually the first person to ever suggest, you know, an all-female camp like a little powder puff football clinic uh strictly for women fans of the sec um you know because that was that's before tinder or uh, or bumble or you know match.com and, and several other dating websites i've been banned from um so it was just easier to be honest you know it, it was like speed dating but we got to talk about the pros and cons of a, of a cover two cover two defense the whole time which is that's pretty much my sweet spot that's more my speed when it comes to dating uh, and coaching. So um, anyway, that role didn't last long uh, because of several sexual harassment allegations. And uh, I stress the words allegation. 
What else? I was a, I was junior director of a game day strategy um, and was an administrative assistant for special teams on a few teams. Uh, I was the 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 brain behind the uh, the dog running out on the field to uh, get the tee after kickoffs. Um, that was my golden retriever, Russ. That was the first dog to ever do that. Uh, I think we were in Athens for a noon kick um, when I was in Ole Miss. Uh, we were playing UGA. And uh, I had stayed out till about 4 a.m. just pounding Keystone Lights at the Kappa Sig House off Millage Avenue. And uh, next day I showed up about midway through the second quarter and, um, and I brought my dog. You know, because it's, it's hard to be mad at somebody uh, when, they, when they got a cute dog. People like dogs. People don't like irresponsible alcoholic coaches. You know, but we're, uh, we're about to kick off the second half and I take about two steps um, – on the field to get the tee and just throw up all over my Russell Athletic uh, coach's polo. Uh, so I sent Russ out, fetch that damn tee. And um, that's how that whole thing started. People don't know that. People don't know that. That's how the whole thing started. You know, people like to say, oh, Coach Carroll's hung over again, or Coach Carroll smells like hot fries and vodka. No one ever likes to say Coach Carroll was a damn pioneer for the game of football. So anyway, today we're going to kind of break down, um, you know, my role in uh, one of the greatest SEC games of all time, and that was the uh, 2003 Arkansas and Kentucky game, which is the uh, seven-overtime game that uh, that was played in Lexington. So um, at the time, I was kind of rehabbing my coaching career, uh, literally rehabbing it. It was a, it was a court-ordered community service role I had with the Wildcats uh, where I'd kind of help out on the weekends, um, you know, a lot like Emilio Estevez did after he got that DUI in Mighty Ducks. So... Uh, Anyways, I'm at Kentucky. I was um, my role there was the personal in-game dietitian for Jared Lorenzen. Um, you know they have professionals and nutritionists uh, for his actual meals, but I was in charge of uh, the caloric intake during his actual games. And people don't people don't realize how important of a role that is. People don't you know realize how important orange slices and Capri Suns like really are before, during, and after games. Um, you know I remember one game in Little Rock where we went through a, a damn gallon and a half of Sunny D, and that was in the first quarter first quarter so to say uh I was playing a vital role to the success of this team is an understatement that Arkansas game though I've I've, uh I've never experienced anything quite like that anything as exciting or stressful I mean seven overtimes and uh and you know I was double parked the whole damn time um you know and I remember one point in the fourth quarter which is pretty much the turning point of the game people don't know this uh I look at Jared and he's gassed and I mean gassed hell we were all gassed and I look at Jared and said like you know you got this what do you need and, uh, and keep in mind, we're in the fourth overtime. So at this point, Jared had already lost about 48 pounds in water weight. And uh, he looks at me and, and kind of gives me this wink. And, uh, and I knew he, he wanted fajitas. So luckily, Chili's had just started their curbside-to-go service, uh, thankfully. Uh, so I call it in. I send Jared into the huddle. And, uh, you know, I call Chili's and said, I need a large steak fajita with extra beans and rice, you know, for the carbs and energy. And, um, and I'll never forget that delivery guy running through the tunnel and onto the sideline right as that final play was happening. And, um, you know, it was fourth and three, seventh overtime, and, uh, and we call a QB draw. And Jared gets hit about a yard, yard and a half short, fumbles the ball, Arkansas recovers it, won the damn game. And uh, all I can remember was how quiet it got in that stadium. I mean, you could hear a pin drop if it weren't for how loud the fajitas were sizzling. Um, and, you know, also that was one of the more awkward moments of my entire coaching career. And, uh, 
and that was it. That was the whole, that was the end of the game. And I remember wrapping up fajitas and tinfoil and uh, put my arm around Jared and say, you know, just, just keep your head up. And then proceeded to just absolutely berate that 16-year-old delivery driver uh, and, and got his ass fired with a scathing Yelp review. Because um, I truly believe, you know, and, and this is my biggest takeaway that people don't know about from that game, Arkansas goes on to win 71-63. But I truly believe if that, if that Chili's had gotten there, if Jared would have had them fajitas in his belly before that game ended, Kentucky would have won that football game.